In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. And welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we compute practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And especially when we really think of the approach to the modern world, what really came to mind over this past month for me was the role of the diaconate in the church today, especially after the Second Vatican Council. And so that's why... It times very well with the book launch of a good friend of mine, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Welcome back to the show, Deacon. Thank you, George. It is great to be with you uh, as always. You know, George, you are the only person I don't mind getting up this early in the morning in the stage for, man. So (laughs) (laughs) I I appreciate you very much and and the work that you're doing in the Lord's Vineyard, and I very much want to support you. So thank you for having me on again, George. Thank you very much for being with me. I was actually telling my wife about... uh, Deacon getting up early, uh, <laughs> the whole getting up early situation, but I really appreciate it. You know, um, we're in the future here in Australia and you Americans uh, behind <laughs> one day, it's, but it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's tremendous. It's absolutely amazing to have you. And uh, you've inspired me over the many years, especially in your approach as a deacon and that beautiful balance of, of being a cleric, but as well being out in the world as a married person as well and having a family, living those day-to-day struggles and challenges of um, having a wife and kids and everything else. So I think everybody's guessed the topic here, something about deacons, but so your book, let's get straight into it. Uh, What is the book about? Why did you write this book for deacons as a deacon? And and what was your intention behind it? Well, the book is Our Life of Service. The Handbook for Catholic Deacons. Uh, it's uh, uh, came out in uh, December uh, from Ave Maria Press. And the reason I wrote the book, George, was a couple of reasons. One, during COVID, you know, when I was home and wasn't able to travel, I said, hmm, what, what can I do? You know, so I've always had uh, on my heart to write a book uh, about the diaconate. And so um, they, there's kind of three levels in ordination, whether you're a, a, a bishop, a priest, or a deacon. It's called the three munis in Latin, or, or functions, tasks, or duties of ordained ministry. And in, in Latin, it's docendi, sanctificandi, and regendi, teaching, sanctifying, and leading. And so I wanted to focus, in looking at the, the landscape of what was already written on the diaconate, what I saw where an area that was lacking was that third tier 
uh, the, the uh, Regendi or the leading ministry of the deacon? How does the deacon lead in the church? Because if you look at the Second Vatican Council that you referenced, uh, it says at the lower end of the hierarchy is the deacon, right? And so what I want to do is talk about the role of the deacon in the life of the church, because people get confused. They say things like, um, oh, yeah, you're just like a priest, except you can't say mass and hear confessions, right? Or, you know, too bad you're married or else you could be a priest, you know, like, so in other words, they're saying, well, uh, you can't be a priest. So I just, you just have to settle for being a deacon as if it was second place or something like that, exactly. you know? So, yeah. So what, what the deacon uh, does, he, he assists the bishop with his ministry of evangelization. And so the bishop, of course, has the job of being the chief shepherd uh, of, a, of a, a diocese or archdiocese or eparchy. And uh, he can't do everything himself. So he has priests on the one hand to help him with his role of facilitating communion, bringing people uh, together, especially around the sacraments and the life of the church. And most especially, of course, the Holy Eucharist and, and reconciliation. Um, but the bishop is also supposed to evangelize, to share the good news, the life-changing news of the encounter with Jesus Christ. And so he has deacons to help him on, on that on, uh, with his with that part of his mission. And we see this in Acts of the Apostles. We see in Acts chapter 6, the first seven deacons uh, or, ordained for service in the church. And we see Stephen, right? The, the first martyr, the per- person to die for Christ is was a deacon. He was one of those seven. And we also see Philip in Acts of the Apostles um, going out and baptizing, you know, and preaching uh, the, the gospel, you know, and, uh, and we would see one of the Eastern deacons, Ephraim, you know, who's a doctor of the church, uh, he, you know, he, he was a deacon. So uh, St. Francis of Assisi, a lot of people don't realize that St. Francis of Assisi deacon, yeah. was a deacon. That's right. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, so I'm in good company with some of uh, uh, some of our my brothers uh, that came before me. I mean, it's actually interesting you mentioned that that the diaconate sometimes can be seen as sort of the lower lower end of the apostolic hierarchy, and it's sort of second class to just being a priest often. Because and and I really see why the Second Vatican Council brought back the the emphasis on the vocation to the diaconate. You know, I think it was a very positive thing because as deacons, you're married, you have a family and children, you can relate to people in a different way than a priest can relate to people. Sure, priests have that experience in dealing with so many people, but you yourself have done it. You've been there in, in the situation that most lay people find themselves. So you, in a sense, could be a, a closer mediator on that practical level to the laity because of your experience as a deacon. And still having your foot in the sanctuary and having your foot in the world, <laughs> in a sense there. Um, do you think we, before the Second Vatican Council, do you think we, we forgot or we pushed aside, I think, from uh, before, before the council, did we often push aside the, the role of the deacon or we just saw it as a transitional way to the priesthood too much? Well, what happened historically, George, as I mentioned, Acts chapter 6, uh, we see the uh, institution of the diaconate, uh, which was started by the apostles. And it's always been in the church since, since the very beginning. And what happened um, during the uh, 10th and 11th century, the diaconate went from a permanent order, which it was in, in the early church, to a transitional order. Yeah. So in other words, it became 
uh, from, from being a permanent deacon to a transitional deacon. In other words, it was a stepping stone on the way to the priesthood. Yeah. And so actually, George, it was the Council of Trent that met from 1545 to 1563 that um, started the idea of bringing back the diaconate as a permanent order. A lot of people don't realize that, but the, they also talked about at that council, a seminary system. And guess which one out? The seminary system, right? <laughs> and so it wasn't until, um, you know, centuries later at the Second Vatican Council, it met from 1962 to 65, where the diaconate was restored. In fact, it was supposed to, uh, uh, again, they were talking about it at the First Vatican Council, uh, which made, met in 1869. But of course, that was cut short because of the Franco-Prussian War. Um, and so they never actually finished that council um, because of the war. Um, so it, was, it wasn't until Vatican II that the, the discussion finally came full circle and, uh, and they decided to restore the diaconate as a permanent order. So now we have, we have two, if you will, I mean, it's one diaconate, but then we, we still have the transitional. Uh, so in, in order to be a, a, a priest, you're ordained a deacon first, then you're ordained a priest. And we, we have also permanent deacons, uh, men that, that um, remain deacons uh, for, their, for their entire lives. Now, <clears throat> do you think that we could have perhaps maybe uh, done it a little bit earlier uh, or, or I, I, I just love the timing. I mean, now I think there's this push for laity uh, and the lay movement in the church of the second Vatican council. And then, and, and the diaconate times very, very well in the, the second Vatican council brought it to fruition. Uh, but where do you think the diaconate perhaps sometimes can detract from discerning vocation of the priesthood? Is, the, the, is there that challenge, do you think, where people say, oh, well, it can't be a priest. I can always be a deacon, you know, plan B. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, the answer is no. <laughs> I mean, the, the answer to, to the priest shortage, right, is more priests, not deacons. Uh, we're, we're not many priests. We're not wannabe priests. You know, if God wanted me to be a priest, then I'd be a priest you know, but, but God has called me to be a deacon. And what we are, we're sacramental signs, uh, permanent sacramental signs and witnesses of Christ's service ministry to the church. And, and so our service at the altar informs our service uh, off of the altar and in the world, you know? So again, we're, we're supposed to help the, the bishop with his ministry of evangelization, uh, which is a very important part of what of what the, what the bishop is supposed to do. And the way I think of it is like this, George, the priest is the shepherd, right? I mean, he's the shepherd that gathers the sheep around himself, right? Around the, the sacramental life of the church. Um, the deacons are, are like the sheep dogs, right? We're the ones that grab, that, that, that herd the people that bring them together to, to the life of the priest. And so I, I like to think of it like this. Remember the, the, uh, the story in the gospels, the paralytic on the stretcher. So the friends bring this guy on a stretcher and they try to get to Jesus, but the, the, the front doors, there's so many people in the house that the front door is, is, is blocked. So they go up to the roof, they cut a hole in the roof and they lower him down to Jesus. So that's in, in a sense, George, when I see the role of the deacon, we're out in the world and then we, we bring that message of the life-changing encounter of Jesus Christ. And then we bring people to the ministry of the priest. We bring people to Jesus. We bring people back to the life of the church. 
See, that's that's where I see our role. So there is no competition because the priest is, is not ordained to do that because his job is to be, uh, you know, with the people as their shepherd feeding the flock, exactly. especially with Christ's body, blood, soul, divinity in the Eucharist. Let's let's touch quick before we go into the book. Let's touch quickly on what are the lit- what are the functions, the apostolic functions of the deacon? We obviously know the priesthood is there to offer the sacrifice of the mass. Uh, through confession, to bless, to sanctify. That's the core role of the priest. What's the core role of the deacon and what, what liturgical functions can you perform, including blessings? I think it's a, that, came, that I was actually very interested in that many years ago. It never occurred to me about the blessing component, but give, give us a quick run on that before we go straight into the book. Sure. So um, the priest, of course, in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass represents Christ. He's in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. Um, and so the vestment that he wears, for example, the, the, uh, the, the chasuble um, means little house. <laughs> and, and that's the vestment that the king wore. So if you look in those movies about Jesus, you'll see that when they show Caesar, he's wearing, of course, the, the Romans didn't call it the chasuble, but, but that was a vestment. It's like the tuxedo of the day, right? The, the formal wear of, of yeah. royalty. Yeah. And so because the priest represents the king, he wears what the king wore. The deacon represents the people at the altar. See, the people that are gathered together with Christ. And so the deacon wears a dalmatic. And yeah. that dalmatic is what the, the, the slave who served the king wore. Right? Oh, and wow. so, yeah. yeah. And so the deacon represents the people at the altar. So Christ, and remember, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So there's Christ offering the sacrifice. And there's the deacon representing the people at the altar in service to Christ. And so all the things that the deacon does at the altar is in the service of the priestly ministry, assisting the priest. The main thing though, I think of all the things that we do in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is we read the gospel. Yeah, You know, think about it. It's the deacon that reads the words of Christ. You know, I, I was talking uh, to a bishop recently and I said, you know, your, your excellency, what, what do you miss? about being a priest, you know, before you were a bishop, he goes, you know, to be honest with you, the thing, I, one of the things I missed the most, he said, was reading the gospel. Because even if the Pope says mass, a deacon reads the gospel, <laughs> you know? So, so that, that's, that, that shows you, because that, that's a very beautiful tie, because the gospel means good news. It's the deacon, as I mentioned before, George, who brings that good news outside of mass into the world and witnesses in a sacramental, sacramentalized permanent way the, the power of Christ's uh, message to the world. And the other things that we do at Mass, like um, we, we drop the water into the wine, you know, because that drop of water- um, During the offertory, yeah. Yeah, during the offertory, it um, represents the people's offering. So it's their hopes, our joys, our fears, our sorrows. Everything we have and everything we are are united with Christ in that sacrifice. You know, um, it's uh, so every role that we have there is assisting the priest and bringing people to deeper intimacy with Christ in the Eucharist so as to prepare them for um, bringing Christ to the world uh, af- you know, outside of Mass. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing because I've always, I mean, in my second book, The Service Toolbox, I, 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 I often mention and I often see in many of the interviews I carried out is that, that the server was a mediator between the laity and the priest or what's going on in the sanctuary. But this, this brings a whole new light here that the deacon is, is that mediator because we need that mediator because 
the priest has his own unique identity to offer the sacrifice of the mass. And to, to bridge that connection between the laity is it, 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 so beautiful with the deacon acting as sort of a bridge. And, it, and it's beautiful because in your day-to-day life, you are a bridge. You are in, you're married, you have children, and, and you liturgically, it's symbolic of that bridge there. So it's, it's just absolutely tremendous there. And uh, let's, go, let's go into your book and, and why you chose to write it. And let's go through, let's travel through chapter by chapter and section by section of how you want to explain it to people uh, so that we can really sort of kick this off. And, um, and I, I've been speaking personally to some deacon friends of mine. I've actually been mentioning this book <laughs> to them, you know, and they're quite interested as well because there, there isn't many books written by deacons for deacons, at least here in Australia. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure in the United States or Europe, definitely probably not Europe, but, but it's, it's so beautiful to see a contribution to an area that's, that's, that's really hasn't been filled or was neglected for a period of time in church history. So let's go straight into your book and uh, why you wrote it and let's go through the book. All right, sure, George. So um, again, the book is called Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Catholic Deacons. And so the first, basically the book is in three parts. Um, There's eight chapters, but it's broken into three parts. The first part talks about the spirituality of diaconal service. So how is service as a deacon different from service as a layperson? Right. Um, because one of the things that Pope Paul VI did when he instituted his motu proprio, when he reinstituted the diaconate as a permanent order, he said one of the things that the deacon is supposed to do is to support lay ministry. Now, some lay people feel threatened by deacons. They say, well, well, well no, the deacon's going to be here now, so he's going to take my job. You know, and, and but that's not the case at all. Pope Paul VI is, again envisioned the diaconate as a way of enhancing and empowering lay ministry, not eliminating it or taking or taking the place of it. So I talk about what is this spirituality of diaconal service? What does that look like? Um, and what does that look like within the structure of the church, uh, which we were just talking about? And then I talk about um, serving, how does the deacon serve practically? How does the deacon serve his wife and children, as you talked about, George? And, you know, just to, to let the, the folks out there know. So the, the way it works in the church, actually both in the East and in the West, so this is true for the Maronites as well, is that a married man can become a deacon. And, and in the case of the Maronites and other Eastern rites, they can also become priests if you're yep. married. Yes. Um, but for us in the West, it's just the, the deacon. So, so it's not that a deacon can be married. Sometimes we say it like that, but it's that a married man can become a deacon. So in other words, George, if my wife dies, I can't get married again. Uh, or if I became a deacon first without being married, I cannot subsequently get married after ordination. Exactly. You know, so I just want to make sure that people, again, because we, sometimes we say that the, the married deacon but it's really a deacon who's married. Is yeah. So I talk about that. How, and, and I talk about that balance, George. How do you serve in the church, but yet continue to serve your wife and your children? Uh, and what does that balance look like? Because sometimes there's tension there. you know. And quite frankly, George, I, I, I've been talking to several Protestant ministers um, who, who are friends of mine. 
And uh, they say things to me, you know, uh, privately. They say, you know, that whole celibacy thing, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually, I, I kind of agree with that because I'm oh, running yeah. this big mega church, yeah, this evangelical yeah. church, and I, you know, I have to get to my kids' ball baseball game, or you know, and then my wife is telling me I, I need to be home more, but yet my congregation needs me, and so there's this 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 tension there, and um, you it's know, almost, the priest. It's almost because it's not like a job. I mean, I think I think it, it's most people would envision that oh, if you're a priest or a deacon, it's a nine to five job. You clock on, clock off. Any any extra time is overtime. You know, you get paid overtime. It doesn't work that way because it's sort of where, as a, in ministry, you're acting like a father figure to your people. You have to be there for your people. Otherwise, as it's it's compromising the quality of your ministry. Can you imagine a priest without without uh, not being there for confessions and spiritual direction and everything else you know it, it, it's lagging in your role so i think just to clear that up for most people it isn't actually a, a full-time job where you clock on clock off it takes up it seeps into your personal time as well and it's beautifully said george and in fact look at the practical look how much a priest makes they hardly make anything i mean you can't raise a family on what a priest makes in, in a parish i mean you know that's ridiculous uh, but anyway and I also talk about in that middle section of the book, George, about serving in the parish. So some of the things we were talking about before, how does the deacon help and empower lay ministry uh, in the yeah. life of the church? And then the last part of the book is about serving outside of the church, you know, because, uh, for example, prison ministry or working with the, the elderly in assisted living communities, working with the poor and disenfranchised on the streets. And so what I did, George, in the book is I have essays from my brother deacons from all around the, the United States. Um, in each of these different chapters in the book, I have them write a reflection essay on their experience of working uh, as, a, as and living as a deacon in each of these areas. And so it's wonderful. So it's not just me writing. I also have my brother deacons joining in. And one thing I think that's unique about this book is at the end of every chapter, I have questions for self-evaluation, right? So if, so if, if this is not just for deacons, this is for men that are considering the diaconate as well. In fact, I already know of uh, several dioceses in the United States that are using this book as part of their formation program. Uh, for, for men who are considering being deacons. So there's questions for self-evaluation, there's a goal-setting exercise, and there's a prayer, a closing prayer at the end of every chapter, which I composed all these prayers myself. That's great. Sounds and very so, similar to the practical tools. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and I, I think I might have had that in mind when I was writing this book about that's some practical yeah, tools. I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to help. And that, that's a lot of practical <laughs> We want people to get practical in any aspect of the faith. Yes, so, that's right. So, that, that's, so that's that's basically an overview uh, of, of how the book is structured. It's amazing that you, you you gather the experience of different deacons serving in different places so that it, it's a holistic view. It's not just Deacon Harold who travels and give talks and uh is is a catholic celebrity around the united states and, and, and on everywhere it's other deacons who may not may be media shy or may just be working in a small humble parish deacons who might be in a cathedral i mean that that's amazing i love how you just you make it holistic so it's not just the experience of yourself as a deacon because uh, you do a lot more than your average probably deacon in in a parish 
but it, it's it's other people. Now, yeah, yeah. So, so the guys that I have, for example, they've been ordained. I got guys who are newly ordained. I got guys who ordained, you know, over twenty years. Wow. I have uh, deacons in there who are are married and have children, young children. I have guys in here whose wife died, and now they're exercising their ministry as celibacy. How do they live out the life as celibate deacons? I have uh, my brother deacons who are doing apostles around the world. There's a couple guys like there's a, a guy that uh, does a tremendous work on the continent of Africa. Um, and another one of my brother deacons who's doing great work in, in Vietnam and in the Philippines with the poor. I mean, you know, so it's just a, a, a broad variety um, uh, of my brother deacons and, and bringing their life experience and, and uh, their witness to the power of the diaconate. So even when late, this book is even for lay people who just want to understand the diaconate better. You know, so we have deacons in our parish. And the only time I really see them is at mass. You know, what does deacon really do? This so this book is helpful, not just for deacons, but again, for men in formation and also for lay people to better understand the role of the deacon in the life of the church. Do you think lay people can learn from this book? I mean, your average lay person can, can grow themselves from this book by understanding the diaconate and, and and by applying that sort of bridge understanding between the sanctuary and their day-to-day life could that act how, how do you see it in that respect oh that that's a great question in fact um back in 1998 the vatican put out a document on the directory for the life and service of permanent deacons mm. and one of the things it says in that document is that when the deacon serves at mass he, he serves as a witness to the laity. Uh, you know, he actually helps to strengthen the faith of the laity at mass because he represents them at the altar. And so, you know, so if, if the uh, lay people in the pew want to see the, the, uh, the reverence that they're supposed to have for God at mass, they look to the deacon, you know, <laughs> because so when you Absolutely. see the deacon functioning liturgically properly, right, and not doing his own thing, when he's functioning properly liturgically at the altar, then that, that actually strengthens the faith of the people, you know? And, and so it's, it's a beautiful relationship. Because there is a difference. And I did allude to this from the perspective of a server in the service toolbox that, that when, especially this definitely, and you mentioned it very well as a deacon, because people will see you out there with your family, with your kids, sort of as a sort of not lay person, you are a cleric, but in, in the state of a lay person in a sense, but then you have that bridge. You, you have one leg in the sanctuary, one leg in the sort of in the world, in the real world. And people look up and people can relate to that better in, in many senses than the priest who doesn't share that life experience. The priest has something else to bring in his own identity. But I think it's beautiful how there's that bridge through the server. There's that bridge clo- that what, uh, overarching more bridge through the deacon through to the sanctuary through to our lord it's a nice gradual way that we lay people can bridge ourselves into the sanctuary into the life of the church that's how i see it really no yeah you're exactly right i, I love yes. that that that's a that's a very beautiful way of looking at it actually and and it shows i think the beauty of the continuity of the church as well you know that everybody has a role to play um in in the sacrifice of the mass you know, so it's not just the mass being done to us. We're not, you know, the person in the pew is not just sitting out there while while they're being massed at, 
by, by what's happening at the altar. We're participating um, in, that, in that sacrifice. And so everything we see, the vestments, everything draws us more deeply into the mystery of, of Christ's redemption, of Christ's act of sacrifice. You know, and then we, we receive Christ, and then our job is to take him back into the world to witness to his power and to his love. And the deacon is there to assist the lay people, right, uh, between Sundays, <laughs> right? So we're in the trenches with you. We we have families. We, we understand the struggles that you're going through. And that's why in many parishes, George, the deacon, for example, will do marriage preparation, yeah. you, know, um, yeah. you know, because, I mean, the deacon's married, right? Many of them are married. And so they have the, the, the uh, who better, in a sense, to help, um, people in marriage preparation than the deacon who's that sacramental sign and witness. In fact, you know, uh, the, the marriage vocation, they, they tell us all the time comes first, right? Because that was the initial vocation. And then the call to the diaconate came later. Cause and how, the, how the church looks at it is this, here's a man who's serving well in his family. He's serving his wife and he's serving his children. Well, so and in a priority. sense, he's exercising the diaconia, right? The service ministry in his home. Now, the church identifies a man like that and says, can this man use those gifts to serve the entire church? And that's what the discernment uh-huh. of the diaconate is all go. about. I, I just love that because that vocation is born in the midst of the ordinary circumstances. And then it springs out and says, yes, because you're serving well, the diacana, uh, you are then, uh, you're then, uh, you know, uh, worthy to pursue that vocation so is it seen as sort of a vocation within a vocation is that how should we should see it that that's a that's a good that's a great way to put it and in fact you know you got to remember the wives have a have a big role in all of this in our the archdiocese for example um as the man is going through the process and it could be anywhere from five five to seven years um of training um, in order to become a deacon um the wife has to give her yes all along the way um, and if she changes her mind or feels that, you know, that, um, you know, the kids are too young and, you know, or whatever that is causing a stress, then, then, then he's out, then he's yeah. out of the program. That's yeah. right. Because it, we, we don't want the diaconate to add stress to the marriage. And so the wife needs to understand she's sharing her husband with the church, but we don't want the church to become a mistress. You know, where, 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 where the wife feels like almost like the church um, is like having, he's having an affair, if you will, because he's, he's gone so much and he's, you know, he's not actually living out his marriage vocation the way that he should. So that's why another reason I wrote this book, George, to help people find that balance uh, in serving your, your family and also serving the church. It's absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm so excited to keep speaking about it, but now we have to take our break. So if you want to call in here with your questions or comments, the number is toll-free in Australia, 9625-6111. That is 9625-6111. Or you can email me at thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com. That is thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com. Or simply comment in any of the Facebook live feeds and we'll take your questions here for Deacon. So stay tuned here. We'll be back shortly. My name is Father Damon Seifer. I'm a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the Latin Mass Order. Our order has been ministering to the faithful in Western Sydney uh, for about 20 years now. But we think it's time for us to find our own place to be able to build our own church. 
So we're really encouraging people to make donations, perhaps even dedicated to monthly donations so that we can forge to take on perhaps a mortgage for this great endeavour. So we would like to, in the long term, build a traditional church for the celebration of the traditional liturgy in the Latin Rite. We would encourage you to think about this, to pray about this and see if God is calling you to uh, commit to helping us with this great endeavour to build a new church for Western Sydney. And welcome back to another week in the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And this week we're continuing our discussion regarding Dick and Harold Burke Sivers' new book on the life of service, a handbook for Catholic deacons, our life of service, a handbook for Catholic deacons, a tremendous book. And I'm really excited to continue this discussion, get right back in there. But first, if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, go to The Catholic Toolbox or subscribe wherever you get your podcast at The Catholic Toolbox. Don't forget to check out our website, thecatholictoolboxshow.com, just right up here. Uh, subscribe to our weekly newsletter alert and we'll send you all our episodes that come in on a weekly level. Don't forget also uh, to uh, email us if you actually have any feedback or comments or any topics you actually want us to discuss here in the Catholic Toolbox. We're here for you. We're here to serve the church and serve everybody here. We're going to continue with our discussion, Deacon, regarding this tremendous book. I'm already excited. I can't wait to get a copy and, and really study it and, re and really understand more about the role of the deacon in everyday life. Uh, we spoke about the book and why you, why you wrote it and why it was such a, what, what inspired you initially. But I think it's a topic which, which many people never wrote about for a while. We often pushed it to the side and you've met that need there, deacon. So what does it take? How, how does someone know? The first question I'll throw at you. How do you know, what, what are the, uh, let, let me word this correctly. How, what are indications in your spiritual and, and ordinary sec, and everyday secular life that perhaps you may have a call to the diaconate? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a couple things. Uh, one that I alluded to earlier was that, you know, you, you're serving well in your family. That's where it all starts. Uh, again, a, a man has to live his spirituality from the cross of Jesus Christ, right? In my first book uh, called Behold the Man, A Catholic Vision of Male Spirituality, um, the, the, the foundation of the hermeneutic, uh, the interpretive key for understanding what I'm trying to do in that book is that uh, I look at, at, a, at a male spirituality through the lens of John Paul II's understanding of the human person and St. Paul's theology of the cross. And so in the book, I talk about how a man has to live his spirituality from the cross. So in other words, the way that Christ broke himself open and poured himself out in love, in, in love and sacrifice and service to the church, you know, um, and he gave us the model, you know, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And that serve, that word servant is diaconia, right? It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the diaconal ministry. And so a, a man has to live his spirituality in all aspects of his life whether he is a, a husband and father, whether he's a priest, 
or whether he's a single man living in the world, we all exercise that spiritual fatherhood lived from the cross of Jesus Christ. So a man may discern, okay, I'm, 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 I'm living this in my marriage, but I feel called, there's a pull, there's a tug, there's an attraction to exercise that ministry also in the church. And so, so often you'll see men, you know, they'll, they'll be, um, they'll join the parish council, they'll be on the finance committee, they will serve the poor through the same business of Paul. They are very active in the life of the church. And the pastor may notice, hmm, here's a guy who's, uh, whose marriage is going very well, um, you know, whose, whose kids, you know, are engaged in the life of the faith. And here he is serving in the parish. You know, this, this man may have a call to the diaconate. And so it's often the priest that will approach a man or, or even others in the parish that will approach a man and say, you ever think about becoming a deacon? And the guy said, well, well you know, you know, it kind of crossed my mind, but I never really thought seriously about it, you know, and, and so the priest may help and assist that man with the process of discerning, is God truly calling me to this, to this ministry in the life of the church? So it starts of off course, with a natural, it starts off with that natural sense of what they're already doing, what they're naturally yes. already inclined to. I think that's the way to weed out. When we try to discern things, I think sometimes in the life of the church, we overmarket vocations and we, 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 I don't know, free lunches, free, <laughs> free stuff, expos. I think that does a disservice to vocations. But I think when, when we just harness what people are naturally doing, someone who, as you said, is involved in parish council, may have been an acolyte for 10 years. His kids are grown up. It's, it's already naturally what he's doing. Then we can talk. So, so in a sense, that's what you're saying. Uh, um, are there any other indications uh, that you look for apart from these these things? Are there any outward sort of signs uh, that you could be called to a, uh, to become a deacon? Well, of course, it has to be and a man who loves. Yeah, uh, it has to be a man who loves prayer. I mean, come on, I mean, you have to be a man of prayer. So you can't be someone who's watching video games, playing video games, and, and spending time watching TV all the time. I'm not saying don't watch TV, right? I mean, you know, but I call it the idiot box, you know, because <laughs> I mean, let's be, I mean, but, but you're, you're spending time, you know, um, understanding who you are as a man, who you are as a child of God, and really working to develop your spiritual life, to grow your life spiritually, to, to come closer and closer to Christ. And so, yeah, definitely a man of prayer, you know, someone who is not you know, like addicted to pornography or anything like that, um, who goes to, who receives the sacraments regularly, especially the sacrament of reconciliation, uh, the Eucharist who's praying the rosary. I mean, it's just a man that's just, just doing the, just doing what God has called him to do, you know, and people recognize that there's something different about this guy. There's something special about this person. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something there. And that's what the, the church is discerning. So, as a man may be discerning the diaconate, remember, the church is also discerning, is this man truly called to, to be a deacon? So it's, like I said, it's a multi-year process between, in, in the States, between five to seven years. Um, so it's a long discernment process. And again, the wife is a very integral part of that, because along the way, if she is not comfortable, you know, if she, you know, um, if she feels, again, the kids are too young, or, or maybe he's, He's not balancing things well between um, 
you know, preparing for the diaconate and, and the life at home, then the wife can pull the plug. And, uh, and, it, and it, once she withdraws her support, that's then the guy's out of the program. Deacon, is um, that why on the, on the practical level, often many, pe- many men who discern the diaconate have children who are over the age of 18, gone off to college or university, or their children are grown up and they're working and it's sort of uh, like, at least here in Australia, in our diocese, you know, a, a lot of deacons are retired. Their children have gone, grown up. They have grandchildren. Does, uh, but let's, let's go to the very youngest point that you can discern, uh, which is at least, you know, when you may have young children, possibly, or is it, does the church wait till at least they hit 18 or are grown up? Or the, is there any guidelines there? Or Yeah, so in the Code of Canon Law, all it says is that the minimum age for ordination to the permanent diaconate is 35 years 35, old. Yep. That's the minimum age. It doesn't say anything about the age of kids or anything like that. Yep. Where that comes in, George, is there's di- the diocese or the eparchy is the one that says, you know, we don't want this diaconate to cause tension with the, with the marriage and the family life. And so we, as a diocese, decide that the kids have to be X age on a local 15 right so it's 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 it's, it varies between dioceses and it depends on what the bishop wants so uh, you know they may say well the kids have to be at least 12 or 15 before you can start now my case that wasn't the case i was 30 years old and did not have children yet when i was accepted in the diaconate diaconate program um and so it was very different in our diocese in fact i was the first person that they ever ordained that was under 40 years old as a permanent deacon. I was ordained at 36. Uh, so I was accepted into the program at 30. I had just only been married for a year. We didn't have children yet. Uh, and so, so you have to meet the requirements for diaconal ordination at ordination. You don't have to meet the requirements when you start formation. Yeah, You have to meet the requirements at ordination. So, so that's what I did. Yeah. Okay, yeah, what, exactly. what's your, uh, what are some three practical tools? Let's go into the three practical tools. Let's draw some from your book. What are three practical tools from your book uh, that, that we can take to appreciate the diaconate and, if, and support men who we may see in our community or let's say along the lines of discerning yourself as a man, a married man or even single man uh, unmarried to the diaconate? What are the three best practical tools you can pull out of that book? All right. Very good, George. So um, I would say, for example, uh, I have a reflection here um, in the uh, the section on serving my wife, uh, a reflection on Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse 25, which says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, so I think, uh, and, and I, and I, in the book, I, I have a, a goal setting exercise and some, some questions here, some very practical things um, okay, again, I'll just read it. St. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Think about your relationship with your wife and how the sacrament of matrimony extends into your diaconal service. Make a, a list of concrete actions that you can take over the next 30 days to improve your marriage that will enhance your diaconal ministry. Or even if you're in formation, think about, okay, what am I doing in my marriage? What things can I do now that will actually enhance my ministry as a deacon? And that's what I found, George, by, by, by taking these steps here, what you realize is that 
the marriage enhances the diaconate and the diaconate enhances the marriage. So it's both and. So that, that would be one thing, reflecting on Ephesians 5.25 and um, uh, making that list of concrete actions that you can, how you can improve your marriage that will, uh, again, help your diaconal ministry. I think that's Loving very, the very important. Tools, Bacon. Very, 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 very practical there. Um, yeah, I think you described it very well. What really got me what you said there was that the once you become a deacon, that should be enhancing your married life, shouldn't it be? If, if yes. it's a vocation within a vocation. Yes, that's right. So, okay. so they, they both, they so both no help to empower each other, actually. Yeah. So it, it, that, that's what I've found. I mean, I've been ordained 19 years now, and I've found that to be very, very true, that, the, that one actually helps. So, so the, the, being a deacon helps me to be a better husband yeah. and father, and being a good husband and father helps me to be a better deacon. Excellent. Absolutely. And uh, let's go into practical tool number two. All right. So this one is, is serving the parish. So here I say the Good Samaritan parable, which we're all familiar with, is a powerful example of God's love and mercy. The deacon's ministry parallels that of the Good Samaritan and can be a source of healing and reconciliation for many who are suffering. So identify the current outreach efforts in your parish. So in other words, the, so what is happening in your parish now to outreach to the poor, to the disenfranchised, um, to maybe there's a ministry for divorced people, uh, for, for people who have lost children, you know, for parents who have lost children. And if there's not anything like that in your parish, you know, identify that maybe you could be the one to help start that ministry in your parish. Um, you know, prisoners, former prisoners, prisoners who are homebound, maybe who have had abortions is enough being done in the parish. Evaluate your parish plan and propose revisions that will allow parishioners to be better Samaritans to each other and to the local community. See, so that deacon is acting as the bridge between the gospels and the teaching of Christ and the, the person in the pew, identifying the needs of the parish, looking for those who are underserved in the parish. Like for example, how many ministries do you have uh, in the parish for parents who have lost children, you know? Um, Never heard and, of it. And you see, that's what I'm saying. So the deacon identifies that, say, wait a minute, there's a need here that's not being uh, served. And it's the deacon's role then to work with the bishop and the priest to, um, to identify what those are and to strengthen and enhance them in I, the life of the parish. I just love this bridge. I'm really seeing this bridge. You know, I, I love the beauty of the whole building up to the priesthood and then working backwards the deacon scopes outside the sanctuary he scopes out what needs are there the needs of the people and then and it's just absolutely amazing so to 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 really so you say in this practical tool to really look at what what are the needs of your parish what are the yes, needs exactly. so that's a good exercise if you are possibly going to look at discerning uh, a call to the diaconate or fostering discernment because you, you, you need to get in this sort of mindset of, of, of serving the people and identifying what needs there are and fulfilling them in, in your local See, and, and, it, and it's that balance you talked about before, George, where, you know, we're working with the lay people. Once we identify this need in the parish, the deacon just, just doesn't do it on his own. You know, he, he then empowers the lay people and say, hey, here's something that we could be doing to serve 
uh, our parishioners better, to serve the, the, the parish better, to bring people closer to Christ, you know, and so he's the one that organizes the effort. And of course, he, he has enlists the assistance of lay people to help him in, in that role. So he's not doing it by himself. Apart from the lady, he's empowering and encouraging lay people to work with him as the sacramental minister in the church of, of the of the church's service ministry to help um, you know uh, bring breathe life in a sense back in, in, into the parish. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm really I'm I'm loving this discussion. Really enjoying this discussion. I'm excited to hear the third practical tool now. What do you have for us, Deacon? All right. So this one is serving uh, outside of the parish. So, so deacons are the eyes and the ears of the bishop in the community. And that's true. See, so for example, for example, George, here, uh, well, not here. I'm, I'm not in Portland right now. I'm, I'm traveling, speaking right now. <laughs> uh, but in my, in my diocese of Portland, it's a, it's a port city, right? So we have ships that come in bringing cargo and goods. One, one, one deacon identified, you know what? Who's serving those seamen who are Catholic? I'm, there's got to be some Catholics on that boat. What are we doing to serve them? Are they just coming into town and going to the bars and getting drunk or whatever? Or, or, are we serving the needs? So what he did, he went down to the shipyards and he set up a little booth down there. And uh, he said, you know, it, it, you know, he's a Catholic, you know, he put up a sign and said, you know, Catholics you know, uh, come here, you know, uh, kind of brought attention. And so some of the men came over and said, what is this about? Well, there's a Catholic church right up the street here. And if you need to go to mass or confession, you know, I'm here to help to make that happen, you know, to, to give you some resources. Isn't that, was, isn't that awesome? That is, that's that amazing. Is, that, that's the apostolate that we need. Uh, I, I mean, he got out of his comfort zone, set up a store. I mean, that's just absolutely phenomenal. I take my hat off. Yeah. Nothing so like I said, part of the role... Part of the role in the world, a part of our role as deacons in the world is to identify opportunities to reach underserved communities and bring that need to the attention of the bishop. So is your ministry focused primarily in the parish? Think about the particular gifts of time, talent, and treasure that you bring to the table. Now look at the crucifix. Consider how you can use your gifts not only to serve where you are comfortable, but like Jesus on the cross, where you are uncomfortable taking your servant leadership ministry to the next level in service to the wider community. So, so if you can't get tunnel vision, George, and think I am a deacon in this parish. No, you're not ordained for a parish. You're ordained for ministry to the church. Now you're assigned to a parish, but your ministry has to extend outside of the parish, or quite frankly, I don't think you're really living a diaconal ministry. If you're focusing solely on what you're let's doing hone in, in on this, let's hone in on this very topic because, from my view, sometimes like I often look at deacons and and all you see and witness is often that they're just close to the parish, parish life, parish councils, parish finance committees. Does that? How can deacons and be able to discern diaconate who will be our future deacons? approach that better where they're not just stuck within the walls of the parish but actually go out and actually look a parish is actually a territory as you know it covers a territorial area how can they be more evangelical in the secular world if, if they are really a bridge like yeah, so what you're things, saying. yeah so let me give you a practical example there uh george so um you know 
over the years, if you've been in Paris long enough, you see people come and go. People who are very active, and also they they retire, and you know, and they're no longer active in the Paris because now they're living in the assisted living community, right? So, how can we still keep those folks connected to the Paris? I mean, the Paris has been a part of their life for so long, and now they're elderly. They're living in assisted living community. They, they can't get the mass every week. They, they don't, you know, they no longer no longer feel like they're they're part of the parish. It's the deacon that acts as that bridge between that person and the parish, right? So, so what we saw during COVID, we saw a lot of people live streaming masses and many people who are watching, at least in, in our situation, were people who have not been to church for a long time. So that was a way to reach out to them. And so now coming out of COVID, it is the deacon, right? That makes the effort to still make sure that those people are connected to the life of the church. Right? Exactly, and so so in a very practical way, the deacon is still reaching out to those people, just like in the way that Zoom and other things reached out to people, but but the, it misses that human element. Remember, we're an incarnational church, right? So we need to be with each other. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us because God wanted to love us with His own heart, right? He wanted to touch us and experiences in His own person, you know, as a second person of the Trinity, and so the deacon carries that ministry forward outside the walls of the parish to the prisoners, um, to uh, orphanages, to um, uh, 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 prenatal centers and, um, you know, uh, to assisted living communities, you know, to, to all of those who need to hear the message, atheists, right? All those who need to hear the message of the life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. The deacon brings that to them and, and shows them the love and the life of Christ through his serve, ministry of service. And perhaps that can be done by creating parish ministry within the parish, utilizing the resources of the parish and the lady in the parish to possibly then go out and do something outside the parish. That can possibly be a great idea. Center it outside. Uh, like I, I love, I love the approach of that deacon who went to the cargo terminal and set up that, that, that's something that's not just within the walls of the parish, but gets out and is missionary to draw people back. Often, I mean, I like sharing this idea. I suggest it to many people. I mean, a great way to sort of bring people back is we have a register in each parish of baptism, confirmation. We have a record, we have data of who's been baptized, who's been married in this parish. Why not give them a call and say, like, like sales managers? <laughs> You exactly. know, and, and sort of bring people back. Hey, I'd love to come and see you. Haven't uh, noticed you haven't been coming to church, you know, for a long time. Uh, why don't we come out and see you and have a coffee <laughs> and bring people? There's great ideas to really just re-engage people, and all it takes, it may be, is a phone call. Exactly. And, and and another practical thing that we're dealing with in this country, George, is the the race issue. Yeah. So I think when you have a, a parish where you have a, a you know a, a diverse group of people bringing those people together and and the deacon is the one that facilitates the process of hearing of allowing people to hear their stories right so you have a person who's filipino you have a person uh maybe who's you know lebanese you have a person who's from the, from nigeria and they're sharing their experiences of what it's like and the struggles that they have for living their catholic faith in another country you know how are they working to keep their kids catholic you know so we're appreciating the gifts of cultural diversity that we that we all bring to the life of the church. Again, that's another beautiful way that deacon can facilitate that uh, inside and, and even outside the parish. 
And uh, what example liturgically should a deacon set for the rest of the laity in the pews? Especially oh. given the liturgical crisis that we face in the West, in the Roman Rite. Yeah, one of the things that has to happen, George, is the deacon has to understand liturgically why he's doing what he's doing. You know, so it's not just stand here, hold your hands like this, move here to there. Why? What's the theology behind of what, of what you're doing? Because when the deacon serves well at the altar, that, that empowers and inspires people. I can't even tell you how many times people say, oh, deacon, I love when you serve because you serve so reverently, which means what? They're noticing, George. They're watching. They're watching my posture. They're watching how, how I proclaim the gospel. They're, they're, they're paying attention. And Absolutely. so... My, my reverence at the altar should, you know, they should look at me and say that and take the key from exactly. me of, yeah. of how they're supposed to, what their posture, and what their attitude is supposed and to be. And you've noticed like people sitting in the pew. People learn from you. They, they look to the deacon. They see the deacon in everyday life outside the sanctuary and they see you in the sanctuary. You're in that hybrid, hybrid sort of state uh, in, in both, in both uh, ways. And, and as a server, I've had countless times where people notice when you do carry your whatever your ministry is in the sanctuary as a deacon, as a priest, people notice and it helps people to pray. It brings people close. It sets the standard. You set the standard as a deacon or as a server. Whatever acts as a bridge between the sanctuary and the laity helps people to orient themselves as lay people. And then when they see you out there as deacon carrying out his ministry as a married man, it, it, it's just that perfect equilibria, that balance that people need to see. Because often it's just the priest doing everything and the priest is a completely different lifestyle and person and identity, which is a good thing. Of course, he's Jesus Christ in persona Christi. But on that practical level, there's, to break it down, uh, working down from the priest is, is the diaconate, is uh, the, what used to be the sub-diaconate, interestingly, in the extraordinary form. Uh, and uh, And... And further down, it's just a beautiful balance, I think, our Lord establishing in his church for us to be able to participate beautifully in the life of the church. It's, it's not just a, a priest here and lady here and there's no bridge between. It's, I, I, I love the bridge. I really love the bridge. It's really oh, a pontiff. <laughs> um, yeah, very so, good. So, Deacon, what are your... Actually, we do have a question coming in here from Abby. Abby's emailed us. What's your favorite part? of being a deacon and what do you find as the most difficult challenge of being a deacon? Thank you very much, Abby, for your question. Who's emailed us here today. That's a great one, deacon. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, George, when people ask me that question, they typically think I'm going to say being on EWTN, right? Having nine television series on the network or traveling oh, around the world or serving at the Vatican, you know, something like that. They think, well, that's exciting. But really the truth is George, it's the great gift of how we get to be in people's lives. It's, it's when, you're, when you're at the hospital and there's a, a child going through a cancer treatment and the, the kid is writhing in pain and, and the parents are there crying because they can't really give comfort to their child and you're there with them representing the church, you know, in, in that moment of pain, that moment of crisis. You know, it's when you're with the woman um, whose husband is dying and, and, and as he's taking his last breath, you're there with her. And, and I'm talking about experiences that I've had, George, you know, um, where you're there when, when the husband is dying and, and, and you're, with, you're with his wife and you're giving comfort and you're praying 
you know, um, it, it's, it's, the, it's the great gift of how we get to be in people's lives. I think the, the answer, the second part of Abby's question, I think the, the hardest thing I would say for me, from what I'm doing is, is the traveling and the speaking and realize that I'm not serving in the parish, <laughs> um, you know, as much as I can, because God has called me to do this, this other, this other uh, apostolate, you know, outside of, of the parish. But, um, but I do still serve in the parish, but I think, um, you know, there's, there's, there's uh, trying to find that balance there of, of continuing to serve in the parish while I'm doing this work of, um, uh, of, of bringing the, the good news of Jesus Christ all around the world. But, it, but even this great work that you're doing in, in the uh, media, it, it gets you out of that parish. I mean, we're not just called to be in the parish. I think it's a beautiful balance that you're, you're serving in the parish, but you're also getting out as a deacon into the mission, into media where we do need. Again, I think it ties beautifully there in, in what you said before. Yeah, absolutely. Because most deacons, again, will go to the prisons and hospitals and and um, uh, stay in the know, parish uh, life. Yeah, they, they, yeah, within the parish boundaries. It's just that my, you know, what God has called me to do is outside of those parish boundaries, and even outside the but boundaries of the United States. It shouldn't just be in the so. parish. It shouldn't just be yeah. in the parish. Which right, is, exactly, and that, and that's really the point of the book, is that if you're serving in the parish, you're not f- living fully the life of diaconal ministry. Because look, remember in Acts of the Apostles, Philip, you know, wasn't serving in a parish. Stephen wasn't stoned to death in a parish. I mean, these guys were preaching and ministering outside of the walls of the parish. So I think those are a couple of wonderful examples of, uh, again, it's not either or, it's both and. And when it comes both to service, and, yeah. and and it really yeah. gets us to understand what a parish is. It's really not just a, a four walls, but th- that's supposed to function as a base to evangelize that territory or area that covers the parish life. And you're supposed to be out there in the field you know, in media, helping prisons, seeing what you can do, and then coming back to support that parish as well. It's, it's that beautiful balance, I think, uh, Deacon. But uh, thank you so much. And where can people get a copy of your book? Please tell us everywhere that we so, can access for our listeners. So, so Amazon will, will have it. Um, or you can go to my website, uh, deaconherald.com and scroll down. You'll see all actually five of my books there. You can just click on the book. You can order directly from the publisher, Ave Maria Press as well. So it's published by Ave Maria Press. You can obviously get it from there as well. Uh, Perusia, for those here in Australia, you can access it from Perusia. Perusia will have copies of uh, the life. So if you can show us the book again for people, uh, Deacon, um, if you can lift up the book uh, just for people to see. Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Catholic Deacons by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. It will be available. People can simply type it in Google with your name and it should be able to come up or wherever you get your books there. I'll definitely be getting my copy. I'm really excited, Deacon, to, to take a read of this and obviously give it to my friends who are deacons and looking at the diaconate. And thank you so much for being with me here tonight, Deacon. It's always a pleasure to have you and uh, looking forward to having you next time on the show. Thank you, George. It's great to be with you and with all your listeners as well. Thank you very much for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Until next week, God bless, take care and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. 
That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith, to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.